Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. When I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. It would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wouldn't have been a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. Look, it was given. Sasquatch Chronicles, a place where people share their encounters. Let's start the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. Had a great time at Hop Squatch. Want to thank uh, Shane Corson and Gunnar Monson again for putting on the event. If you missed it, it was here in Portland and people came together and shared their encounters. I'm actually working on, I videotaped a lot of it and I'm editing that. I'm going to have that up on the website uh, by tomorrow morning, depending on how long it takes me to convert it to an MP4 uh, for YouTube. But that's something that should be up on the website. So if you get a chance, check it out. It's going to be on SasquatchChronicles.com and I'll post it to the blog. If you've had an encounter, Email me, Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com. I'd love to have you on the show. I'd love to hear your encounter. Well, I want to welcome Dustin to the show. Uh, Dustin, I know I appreciate you taking my call. I, I got your email and I was pretty excited to talk with you. One of the things I was excited about was your description of its movement, kind of like a crackhead. And like you and I were just talking about, uh, I think it was Mike Humphreys that told me that on the Siege of Hanabi that this thing moved around kind of like a crackhead. But before we jump into that encounter, uh, I know you're a woodsman, you're a hunter, and you've had other things that have happened around your property. Uh, first of all, thank you for being here. Yeah, no problem, Wes. Thanks for having me. And if you would, we talk about some of the strange things that have happened uh, around the property and when you've been out hunting? Yeah, sure. Um, the first odd thing that ever happened I in high school I got into coon hunting go out at night and you know set the dogs loose and then you just sit and listen and you know when the dogs you hear the dogs tree coon you go out well it was about I think negative nine this night and I had borrowed a buddy's uh, flashlight that goes on your scope 
Um, it'll make sense why I'm saying this here in a little bit, but uh, I'd never used this light. So we go out, <clears throat> and when there's snow on the ground, I don't know if, uh, if you're very familiar with coons or coon tracks, uh, they have fingers. Um, they have very long uh, kind of fingers. And so when there's snow on the ground, they don't like to walk around on the ground. They'll stay dinned up. Well, we had a few warm days in Missouri. The weather changes so much, and uh, it got real cold, but a lot of the snow had melted. So we really wanted to get out there. We're excited about about it. And really, with it being that cold, normally we wouldn't go out. But we went out because we figured they'd be moving. and the dogs ended up, they were bumping some deer and ended up, we we could barely hear them. So we're walking around, first time we had ever been to this uh, property, and it borders a property where there's a bull that would chase us at times. So we wanted to avoid that, so we went around a way we had never went before. As we're walking, we're hearing, or I notice, um, footsteps. And it sounded bipedal, and as a hunter, I mean, it's very easy to tell between, you know, a quadruped or bipedal footsteps. There's a trot. It has four legs um, that that you pick up on very easily. And it, this sounded bipedal, so I, I'm hearing it while I'm looking at my buddy, and I'm trying to see if he's picking up on it. And I notice he is because we'll stop and walk, you know, stop and listen. We're trying to listen for the dogs. And I notice he keeps looking back the same way I'm looking back. And he's like, dude, do you hear that? I'm like, yeah. What do you think that is? And he's like, I, I think somebody's out here following us. So in for all I know, this could have been a person, but this is just the first, first odd occurrence that ever happened. We're walking along. Um, and then so then we start playing with it will walk and then he'll stop and he puts his arm back and hits me because anybody I hunt with we match footsteps as we walk to try to be more quiet um, and he'll hit me and we'll stop and then we'll hear step step and then stop well the flashlight I had because it was so cold the batteries on it the, the flashlight wouldn't work and so I ended up shoving it under my armpit I kind of warmed it up with my breath a little bit. So the second time we had stopped and we heard it, uh, he called out to it. And he's like, hey, we're coon hunting. Our dogs took off. If we're on your property, we're sorry. We're just trying to find them. And we waited for a response. Nothing. So that kind of freaked us out because people always, if you're on somebody's property and we've had that happen to dogs, they don't know property lines. So we cross, you know, and somebody comes out yelling at us or, you know, with flash eyes, they shine them and then yell. We didn't get a response. So we were kind of worried that whoever it was was looking for trouble. So we're like, man, let's, let's get back to the road, get to our car, and then we'll drive and listen and we'll get to the dogs that way. Let's just get back to the road. So, Eventually, I get the flashlight warmed up enough. I, sorry, my voice is shaky. I'm a little bit nervous. No, <laughs> but, you're good, man. You're uh, good. And and don't be nervous. There's no reason to be nervous. But you know you're right because if, when you when you're out there, especially two guys, you know you guys are armed. So if it's someone yeah. coming up to cause you, you know, give you guys grief, 
and you're like, hey, we're coon hunting. Obviously, you guys have guns on you. Uh, you, you know, they're going to call out to you. So that is strange that you got nothing. Was it pacing you in the woods or was it following you from behind? This was actually following us from behind. I mean, it wasn't directly behind us. It was kind of off, but it wasn't pacing us. It was behind us. And we had actually talked, well, man, do you think that's a cougar? And we put that out because in the woods, it's easier to figure out what something is not by what you're hearing than what something is. I don't know if that makes sense. No, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. We decided it wasn't, and that's kind of where this comes in. This is what confirmed it to us anyways um, that had to be what we thought was a person because it, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of mass. Like, it didn't sound like, you know, somebody stomping around, which normally, if you're wearing snow boots um, or thick boots, you know, you, you can hear if somebody's pissed off at the landowner coming out after you. Um, so once I got the flashlight warmed up, it, it started working, and it would only work for a minute or two. And then I'd have to shove it back under my armpit. And I had it underneath my clothes. It was just on the outside of my base layer because it was so cold. I didn't want to harm my skin. You know what I mean? What really freaked us out is when that flashlight started working. Because the reason, I mean, we were hearing um, bipedal footsteps. But what confirmed to us that it was not a cat is that there were no, there was no eye shine. And a cat is not aware of its eye shine. At least I don't think they are. Um, because if you've ever been hunting and this happens several times and you get a feral cat in a brush pile, you hit it with the light, well, it'll just sit there because it, it thinks it's hidden in the brush pile. But you can see its eye shine clear as day. So we thought it was a person um, other than how it was acting and where it was following us um, and how it was staying hidden because in Missouri, uh, real thick areas in the winter, especially if there's, you know, been snow and freeze, you can see a long way. The leaves are off the trees um, and it, it was just creeping us out that we couldn't get ice shine if it was a cat. So that's what can confirmed to us that this wasn't a cat, it had to have been a person or something, and at the time, at the end of it, we weren't sure what it was, because if it was a person, they would have called out, because in Missouri, when you see another hunter, it, whether you're on public land or not, the first thing you do is you make them aware of your presence, even if you don't go talk with them, that way they know you're there, so that shooting lane is down. Wherever you go, it's your responsibility not to shoot that person. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. That that was the first thing that ever happened to us, um, or to me, uh, out in the woods. The second thing is I'm a big squirrel hunter. Me and my cousin, we got 150 squirrels in one season. Now, we eat them. Squirrels are my favorite game meat. We whistle. That's how we communicate because as soon as you speak, any animal out there knows there's humans in the woods, you know. Um, my, I have a cousin that I grew up and I'm the closest with him, and he's the one who taught me, you know, we, we match pace as we walk. That way it sounds like one set of footsteps, not two. And then he's the one who taught me the whistles, and it's real simple. 
we do a quail whistle uh, to get the other's attention, just a like that. And then, um, like squirrel hunting, if I see two squirrel, I'll go, and then that way you get, you look over at me, and then I'll point, and I'll hold up how many I see, and then, you know, if they're up in that tree, I do like a, point my finger up and do a circle with it, or I put two fingers down at like they're walking, they say they're on the ground. And so I taught this to one of my buddies, because we hunt a lot, and uh, when you're squirrel hunting, you see a squirrel, he'll go on the other side of the tree, and then you send your buddy around the other side, and then he gets them. Um, so we, we like to do these whistles. Well, uh, where I'm located at in Missouri, we have haulers, and basically they're drainage, um, water drainage that's cut into the earth, and they can be real steep. And we were, I was down in the bottom, and my buddy was about halfway up the hill. And squirrels, if they're at the top of the holler, and you scare them, nine times out of ten, they go to the bottom of the holler and then go down. So that's how we'll walk as we walk the holler. So I'm down on the bottom. My buddy's up halfway up the hill to my left. And, you know, we're whistling, and it's kind of funny because he's not very good. This was the first time I had taught him this whistle, and he's not very good at whistling, so... I was kind of making fun when he was doing like a bad quail whistle and all that. Well, I had whistled, and he didn't look at me. So then I did the other whistle, like I saw something, and he stops and looks at me. And up to the right of me, just over the holler, I heard my whistles back. It was both of them, and it sounded like a bad imitation, and they were real airy. Like, instead of it being a clean whistle, like, it was like, so it, it sounded like something that had mass. Like, I knew it wasn't a bird. And it, it, it did, just like that. It was, uh, it's like if I taught you a new word and you were trying to pronounce it, you would say it slower and you would really enunciate. It was like that, and um, was it mimicking you then? I believe so, yeah. Because right before that, I had done the quail whistle to get my buddy's attention, and he didn't stop. Or I don't know if he heard me, or if it was clicking with him yet. Because this was the first I had taught him this just before he went out, and I just don't think it clicked. And so then I did the other whistle right after and he stopped and then I hear up to the right both the whistles right in the row so I know it wasn't a quail and a bird except it sounded airy and it was slower like it, it sounded something that had mass um I, I I don't really know how to explain it any better like the way I did it was really really close to what it sounded like what did you think it was I, I thought it was a person up there messing with us but it, I stopped and so after I did my whistle my buddy looks down at me and then when we heard that I look up over you know because I'm thinking okay there's a hunter sitting up there and he knows I'm trying to communicate with my friend so he did my whistle to get my attention I look up and nothing's there and it came from it sounded like just at the top of the holler on the right side well it was kind of brushy you couldn't really see and so I thought, you know, 
it's a hunter letting us know he's there and he just used my whistle. So I look over at TJ and he's looking over across. Well, at that point, I was like, TJ, I'm coming up there. And I wanted to say that because I wanted whatever did that to know I was moving up. So I go up there. I'm like, hey, man, do you see a guy over there? Did you hear that whistle? He's like, yeah, I heard it, but I don't see anybody over there. And so then he's like, hey, hey, nothing. And so we walk down, and we walk straight up to where we heard it, and just over the hill there, there's a kind of like a meadow, and then there's another tree line. Well, there was a well-used game path down the middle of that, and we chalked it up to being a person, but what we didn't understand was why they would whistle and then not communicate back to us. Because being a hunter, I mean, safety's paramount. You don't want to accidentally shoot somebody, you don't want to get shot. So you give away your position, even though it ruins your hunt. Yeah, people might get mad, but you do that. But you don't give away your position and then don't say nothing. And we didn't hear anything. He didn't see anything. I didn't see anything. It was just odd. There was a time when you had your gut pile taken. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, that that was this last deer season. I was hunting with my cousin. And what kind of got me into doing, you know, training is I, I love taking people out and showing them, you know, either shooting tips or, you know, hunting tips. Cousin hasn't been hunting very much. I mean, he has, but he hasn't. And so I was taking him out. I was walking around our shop, and we have a pathway that goes to our east field. Well, I'm walking around there, and my cousin goes, do they have horses in that field? And I'm like, no, why? There's cattle over there. Um, he goes, well, then is that a deer or is that a buck? I look up and there's an eight-point buck. Um, ended up scoring uh, 128, but trotting across the field. And so I immediately grunt at it, and <clears throat> it doesn't hear me. I mean, it's about 140 yards away. And so I grunt louder. It doesn't hear me. So I grunt one more time and I almost yell. And it hears me and stops. Well, I get a brace and I fire. Boom, hit it. Get the deer. And this is literally um, 40 yards from my house. I'm standing about 15 yards from our shop where I shot it. And it, it's out in the country. And so, yeah, good news. We go get it, and we drag it over to the corner. So if you take that path to the east field to the right, there's a corner there, and that's all fenced in, and there's a gate, and we close the gate as we walk through. So I gutted it while it's getting dark, and I wanted a sharper knife. So I said to my cousin, I'm like, hey, let's uh, go, go inside. I want to get a sharper knife, and the first thing I take is the heart. It's my favorite part of the meat. Uh, it may sound crazy to some people, but I'm like, I want to get a Ziploc bag because I'd already pulled that out. I'm like, and I, I pulled everything out, and um, I flipped the deer over and was draining the blood out of them. And so there's a blood puddle and then the gut pile, and the blood puddle has ran up to the edge of the gut pile. 
and that will make sense here in a little bit. Well, I'm like, let's run in the house. I want to get a Ziploc bag for the heart. I want to get a sharper knife, and let's pull your uh, car and my truck down here because I want to use the lights because it's getting dark. We walk inside, and literally it's 70 steps to our door to get in the house. So we go inside, and I grab the or I first want to run over the sink, wash off the heart, <clears throat> put it in the Ziploc bag. Actually, if I remember right, I put in a bowl with salt water and then put in the refrigerator, grabbed a knife, um, and, you know, told my boy, my mom, all of them, you know, what we were doing. <clears throat> he grabs his keys, run back. I grab my truck. He grabs his car. We, uh, open up the gate again because I was worried about somebody coming and taking my deer. I shouldn't have been. Um, but when this is the biggest deer of my life in this area. Uh, so I, it, you know, I was proud of it. I didn't want to lose it. So I pull up, <clears throat> he pulls up, we open up the gates. We both pull in, we point over to the edge and then I, mean, I apologize if this grosses people out, but I cut off the growing and, um, because uh, I uh, called it in right after I shot it. But I cut off the growing, I handed it to my cousin and made some joke to him because uh, he's kind of new into this. Right. And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm like, hey, man, throw this in the gut pile. And then when he grabbed it, I'm like, dude, look what you're, yeah. But anyways, so he walks over there and, you know, I'm kind of smirking and I'm splitting his pelvis to open him up. That way when I hang him, you know, th- this is just how I was taught to do it. and. I notice he's standing there right in front of me. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Come here. Come help me. Hold this leg up. And he's like, Dustin, where's the gut pile? I like, was frustrated. I got and walked over there, and I see where the edge of the blood puddle had ran up to the gut pile and around it because uh, some people believe that guts inside of you are bloody. They're not. They're actually very clean. And if um, you're good at gutting them, you can pull that out without getting uh, blood on them. I mean, it, that may sound crazy, but you can. You, you could see where the blood puddle had ran up to the edge of the guts, and the guts had been taken, and they seeped over. Well, I was amazed and shocked. Um, and he goes, Dustin, what could have done that? And I'm like, it, it, it. it don't worry about it, dude. Come on, let's go. And he's like, <clears throat> I run over and I'm like splitting open the pelvis. I'm kind of like frantically doing it because I'm getting freaked out, but I don't want him to see that I'm freaked out because he's kind of looking to me. You know what I mean? And he's like, Dustin, what? I'm like, Jordan, just shut up and help me load this thing in the back of my truck. Let's take it over to my cousin's house so I can borrow his hatchet, and then let's go over to my uncle's house so I can hang this in his garage because I don't want somebody to take it. So we do it, and then after all that, I went back that evening, and I can't remember if he was with me or not. Um, I've talked to him about it since, but um, I, I've got a, I got a flashlight. And I did circles around where it was, and I would do a circle, and I'd step out one step and do a circle. And I did this until I crossed the fence and went about 10 yards beyond the fence. Um, Keep in mind, this is boxed in by uh, four-wire 
barbed wire fence, and that's about five foot high. It may be five wire, I'm not sure, um, all the way around. And the gate was closed because we closed it when we walked to go in the house because the only reason I remember that is because I was worried about somebody taking my deer. <laughs> and I know that's stupid, but... That's not stupid at all. Let me ask you a couple questions. How how long do you think you were gone? I'm going to say this to be on the safe side, uh, 15 minutes, but it was no longer than 10 minutes left. And so for people out there who are listening and, and they aren't hunters, gut piles don't up and just walk off on their own. I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot of guts laying there. And the other thing, too, you know, if a predator comes up and it's going to take your gut pile, uh, or it's going to eat it or try and drag it off, you know, if it's a cat, like cat, you and I were talking about this, Dustin, uh, or a bear or something like that, it's going to make a mess. It's going to be a, it's, it's going to be a messy, it's just going to be a complete mess unless something picks it up and walks off with it. I mean, that's a big, that's a big buck you got. Not, that's a lot of guts sitting there, you mm-hmm. know, to, to pick up and walk off. What was going through your mind? I was scared because I did, I mean, I'm not, I'm not scared to admit it. Um, because I knew that whatever took the guts watched me kill the deer, watched us drag it over and knew that we were gone. Um, and people would say, well, you're speculating. Yes, but I'm not. Because it had to have, uh, to know where, where the deer was, that we were gone. And if you've ever seen a coyote kill, and people don't believe this, but a coyote, a pack of coyotes will take down a full grown buck. If you don't believe me, Google it and you can see trail cam pictures. Um, and a healthy one at that. But when they kill something, it looks like a murder scene. Like there's bits and pieces and shred and they drag it and there's blood. I mean, it's just brutal. It really is. Um, and then if something, that's if something devours it on site. Now, if like a bear or a cat would have came and took it, uh, there would have been drag marks and there would have been you know, I challenge anybody to Google how long intestines are, just in the human. Um, I do it in a deer if you want. But in order to drag something like this off, it would have to have such a large mouth to get all the way around it to grab it to where, you know, the liver and the lungs and the stomach and the guts and all that didn't flop off and is getting drugged behind and spaced out. Um, because I thought, at first I thought, okay, well, maybe it drug it off and then, uh, you know, that as soon as I get back and I get my flashlight, I'm going to see, you know, a, a lung or, you know, some intestines strung all over, all the way to the wood line, uh, which there's a hauler just to the right of that and that's where the wood line is. But whatever did this had to have picked it up because the blood puddle that ran up to the edge of it there was no i'm i'm not i wouldn't say i'm a professional tracker but i'm a good tracker um i've grown up doing it and you know finding an animal you shot is when you're a hunter and you know you have respect for the animal and what you're doing you care about uh finding the animal this thing had to cross a five-foot fence and not leave a trace of the gut pile and a gut pile on the ground, it's like you take 
one of those household trash can bags and cut a third of it off and fill it up. A gut pile laying on the ground, that's what it looks like, except there's many pieces to it. So it's impossible for anything but a human, and if a human did it, it would have taken my deer. I mean, this was a decent, I got them mounted. Human's not going to mess with the gut pile. Yeah. That's the stuff none of us want. Exactly. And not only that, we would have seen them come down the driveway. There would have been no way they could have done it by hand. They would have had to use a wheelbarrow or a truck or some sort of vehicle. I would have seen the tracks, and they had to cross a fence. And it's just, it nothing adds up. And that's kind of what, um, you know, after finding your show and what else I've seen um, led me to believe that stop ignoring it. These things are there. Um, they're they're at this property and they're living there and they're there during the winter because there's nothing else that could have done that. One of the comments you made was something had to have sat and watched you shoot this thing and gut it and pull the gut pile out. Some people might look at that and go, mm, I don't know about that. But, you know, it's interesting. You hear that type of behavior from hunters all the time. I've heard gut piles taken. I've heard deers taken uh, after they've been shot. And it's almost like these things, it's it's kind of, you know, I don't know if you heard the show with Mark Zasky, and he was talking about the guys shooting the the wild boars out there, the pigs, and blasting away at them. And this thing was pacing those guys yeah. while they were shooting it. You know, and it's not that far off. You know, grizzly bears do that. They'll actually, they they have monitors on grizzly bears. I forget where, I think it was Yellowstone uh, or near there. And these hunters were going out and they were hunting. And as the, the moment the gunfire started, the grizzly bears went in to take the kill. And so, I mean, this kind of stuff happens all the time. It's not that far off to think these creatures won't do that. What did your cousin say? After... So I didn't bring this up to anybody until about to my family about everything I've come up with and what I saw uh, most importantly. And then uh, until about three months ago, maybe four and him and his mom were the first ones I talked to. And, you know, there, his mom. So before I believe that there was one of these things and, you know, I'm, I'm a hunter. I, I realized the animals more for them to survive, you know, breeding populations, all that. I don't know why I believe there was one, uh, because of everything I've seen on TV. I just assumed there was like one or five of these things in the whole world. And I used to argue with her, you know, she'd say I was crazy or whatever. And they actually, when I got done telling them everything, my aunt was almost in tears, and she's like, Dustin, I believe you. And Jordan's like, well, dude, I don't know. I'm like, dude, do you remember the gut pile? And instantly his face lit up, and he's like, oh, my gosh. And then we got to talking about this, and then he's like, yes. And then he had an experience uh, uh, probably a month after that, probably two months ago, um, in, in the same exact location with something, and uh, it, it scared the crap out of them. And my family believes me, but the only one that really doesn't is my brother, uh, which really bothers me. Uh, he's not a hunter. He's in the guns because of me. And, um, you know, 
my family's pretty much no nonsense. Pentecostal Missouri family, you know, and uh, so much so, like I, I've quit hunting. That's the worst effect, one of the worst effects that uh, this has had on me. You know, when I had my own counter, I I wanted nothing to do with the woods. I was terrified. I was scared. And I think time time helps a lot. You know, in your situation, I, I honestly think they're pacing you trying to take your meal, trying to take your kill. For people out there listening, it's not the gut pile that made you stop hunting. It's this other incident that, that happened. Uh, do you want to talk about that when you saw it? And before you do, one of the things I wanted to say to you, like you and I were talking before we went on air, your description was a lot like the guys at the Siege of Hanabi when they were talking about the one in the trailer, Mike Humphreys. And I don't even think I said that on the air. That was just something him and I talked about. Uh, he said it kind the of one moved, in the dumpster. Yeah, he said it kind of moved around like a crackhead. And I that was again. I, I have to go back and listen to that show, but I don't think I actually said that on the air. That was just something that him and I talked about. But but go ahead, Dustin. Tell us tell us what happened. Tell us what you were doing and tell us what you saw. Okay, um, it was uh, probably around midnight, uh, maybe a little after, and I was <clears throat> well. I I didn't really tell you this, but there's kind of a little bit of a uh, some stuff that was happening right. Oh no, I'm sorry. Um, that's with what I heard talking. I, I apologize. I, I was driving home, and if you take your thumb or your left hand and make an L with your index finger and your thumb, and then you curl the tip of your thumb up towards the uh, point of your index finger, that's the shape of our driveway. It's kind of like a hook, okay? And it hooks into uh, the house. The tip of the thumb is where you go in the house, and that's where we park. Well, right where it starts to turn on the hook, that the path comes kind of straight off of that and goes into our east field. So every single night, because, I'm, I mean, I love outdoors, but I'm an avid hunter, I point, I turn my truck to the right side of the road, I kind of go off it, uh, that way I hit that spot longer with my lights, and then I'll turn real sharp, uh, to go up the driveway, um, but every night in that pathway, I look down there because I I catch deer, I shine the deer all the time down there, sometimes coyotes, and I'll sit there and watch them as long as they stand there, or if they just keep standing and, you know, I'm tired, I'll pull up and just go in the house. Well, I'm doing the same thing I do every night, and I see something dash across the pathway. Well, it was odd the way it moved and the thickness of it. I mean, it was it was broad, and it, it didn't look like a deer. A deer, they kind of have this, um, their, their locomotion, their rear and their shoulder kind of bounce. Um, if you watch a deer kind of galloping off, and this didn't move like that. It was more fluid, but it was, I, I don't know, it, it just struck me as odd, and I didn't really catch eye shine. Um, I think I caught a glint of like a reddish eye shine, which was different than what I saw. But anyways, I catch it and I stop and it's weird. So I'm looking and then I look to the right and my stepfather has a uh, semi-truck trailer parked along the fence to the right. And I catch this kind of whitish uh, yellow 
eyes shine, and it starts moving. And the way it moves was very, very jerky. It was standing and ducking and looking at me and looking across the path where that other thing dashed um, in the direction it went. And it was doing all this at the same time like a crackhead. I mean, that's the only way I can describe it. It was very, very jerky. Um, and it was, it was just like I caught it and it didn't know whether to run across, to duck down, or to go behind the semi-trailer. Well, it, it seemed like forever I'm staring at this so long that and if you drive on the highway and you come up behind a semi-trailer, you pop over the hill, one of the first things I notice is they have reflective tape at the top corners and I believe in the, even at the bottom corners. Um, it's red and white and it's just the shape of the corner. Well, I thought for a second that maybe this had come loose and it's flipping in the wind because of how jerky it was. But the distance it was ducking and standing, there's no way because the reflective tape, if you took that corner and ripped up the two pieces and put them together, I don't even think that would be as long. And it, it it's doing all this, and it, it's just very, very odd. Well, then, uh, you know, I realized in my head, and, you know, and when your drone's going, you think much faster, so it seems like things slow down. So, you know, seven seconds feels like a minute, you know. And... I'm processing all this. Well, once I realize this is eye shine, it's about eight to ten inches apart. Well, I'd, I'd say eight, eight inches apart, and they're about the size of eggs. And as soon as like all this starts coming together, it stops, and it's about mid stance in height, and it stands straight up and squares up to my truck. And that is what put the fear in me because I, I saw the outline. I don't, I didn't see any facial features. Uh, the head was round and very large. I didn't see a nose or anything like that. Um, the outline of it was that of a furry bodybuilder. Like, it wasn't cut like a bodybuilder would be, uh, I'm guessing because of the fur. And I've got an 89 pickup, and I had my high beams on it. It's about 40 yards away, 45. And I didn't see any details. Um, now of course, when you see eye shine, your brain kind of focuses there, and then your body, your, your mind kind of puts together the shapes, you know, and kind of, you know, you understand what you're looking at. So when it squared up to me, it stopped, stood up, and squared up to me, it was like it hit me. And I thought, and I thought for a long time, that I'm staring at a monster. Uh, its left shoulder, the very edge of its left shoulder, was behind the edge of the semi-truck trailer. And its right shoulder, the way I'm looking at it, it's left side, but it's right shoulder. One of the things that caught me and so odd, other than, you know, just its size, I mean, it was about, it was over probably three quarters of the width of my truck. I mean, this is the biggest, I mean, it redefined what a giant was to me. I mean, just massive. And, and on your show, 
you know, that guy says, you know, it could have ripped the lock door off my truck and pulled me out, and there's nothing I could have done about it. That's exactly, it makes, it humbles you so much because you feel like an ant, and this thing is the boot, and it could just squash you. I mean, it, it just was so large, and the right shoulder, if you look at a bodybuilder from the back or the front, and, uh, you know, you've got your collarbone, it comes through your shoulder, well, that muscle that's on the very outside of your arm, up on top, not your traps, I don't know what it is, like where your shoulder socket is, the farthest part of your body, it was like a basketball shape. It was, and the only other place I've seen this is like in bodybuilders. That muscle is so rounded that it looks odd because most guys, even very fit guys, it's not that uh, enlarged. And that's one of the things that's always stuck other than how big the head was and how big the shoulders were. How long were the arms, or did you get a look at the arms or legs or anything like that? Not really. I didn't see any arm swing. I didn't see anything like that. It was mainly when it stood up and squared up to me, I saw its shoulders uh, the outline of its head and kind of a V shape. And probably from where I had to guess its knees were, uh, we have like three wooden pallets with grass all grown up through there. So the grass is taller than that is there. And then, you know, once it squared up and stood, I mean, it was maybe half a second it stood there. Once it got still, stood up and squared up to me, and then it slowly ducked down behind that, and that's the last I saw of it. And it had to have gone to the right, because if it had gone to the left, I would have seen it cross the path. Uh, but no, I, I didn't see arms or anything moving like that. When it was standing, it, its arms had to have been tucked in um, or inside the outline, because I never saw, you, you know, I would think I would see something swing out of the outline. Yeah, they have a very cartoonish appearance, don't they? Yeah, yeah, and that guy that was talking about that cartoon that was kind of shaped like a heart and real furry, I know what he means by the way, I mean, how big it is up top. I mean, its upper body is just massive. The only sort of outline I kind of saw was its pecs, and it, it just was like a massive bodybuilder. And the only outline I saw is it was kind of darker right in the center of its chest and up in like a V shape uh, towards its collarbones. My lights were hitting it, I mean, straight on, high beams. And if you've ever had an 89 GMC, they got pretty bright high beams. And it, later it didn't make sense why I didn't see more, but that's, that's all I took from that, that moment, you know. It actually does make sense. You know, a lot of times when we see something like that, we freak out and then we tend to focus on something. Um, and I don't know why our brain does that. I've always wanted to get a psychologist on the show to talk about this. You know, it's kind of like uh, the gentleman I had on that was attacked by one when he was hunting and how he'd thrown his gun in the back of the truck. And as he's coming around to get in his truck, it, it actually attacked him. And you know, he had a good description of everything, but one of the things he said was, I don't know why it's, I focused on its nostrils flaring. 
He goes, out of everything, yeah. that's what I really focused on. And so I think our brains try to find some rational explanation for what we're looking at. Yeah. It's, uh, in, in those moments, there, there's a lady on that, uh, said she saw one jump out of the back of a truck and it flew, you know? A lot of people may be upset because it's like, oh, there's no way. Did you see this or did you see that? But, you know, having an experience that was very short, like the one I had, I like that she said that because she said what she felt in that moment and not what she's come up with later. Because a lot of times I think, you know, it's a car accident or people, you know, my cousin and my uncle, both police officers, and, you know, when they're dealing with witnesses, a lot of times afterwards, one witness's input will affect their memory and totally change it from the truth, not intentionally. So, you know, the fact that she's like, oh, it, it flew, you know, I I like that she said that because that shows, to me, honesty, because that's what she saw and that's what she felt in that moment. And I think sometimes it's what you have to go on and not what you come up with later. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. So from that encounter, that's prevented you from hunting? You pretty much have hung it up at this point? About a week ago, my mom had spoke with my cousin, and my cousin called me, and he's on uh, SWAT. He's a police officer. He's also on SWAT. And uh, he's the one I grew up hunting with, and him and his dad taught me everything. We're going to go out together. You know, he called me and basically was like, dude, the same things that were out there when we were kids playing and squirrel hunting with our 22s are the same things that are out there now. And you can't stop hunting. And he believes in them. He's had a couple of accounts, which I didn't know about until a week ago, maybe two weeks ago when he called me and we talked about all this. Um, I'm going to, but I know, you know, that that first time especially, it's going to be like I'm going into a battle zone. You know, I'm not going to be looking for deer or squirrel or whatever. To me, it's I'm going to protect me and whoever I'm hunting with from what what could be sneaking up on us, you know what I mean? I'm sure the first time you go out, your head's going to be on a swivel. You know, you're constantly going to be more aware of your surroundings. And this might be a blessing in disguise because these things are out there and people need to be aware that they're out there. They're opportunistic, though. And again, this is my theory, but I think they're opportunistic. I think if you're out there by yourself, uh, I would worry a little bit. But if you're going to go out with a group of guys and you're armed, I think you'll be okay. I think that these things, I guarantee they've been right there within 10 yards of me before. I mean, they had to have been. And I just didn't know they were there. You know, they, um, you know, just on them coming up to the house and hitting on it and, you know, vocalizing, it's just these things you just don't know what they're going to do they're they could just walk off they could not want nothing to do with you or if they really want you i i don't really know how much of a chance you've got i think uh, a couple guys with guns probably got a pretty good chance <laughs> uh depending yeah. on the caliber that you have but I, I think you guys have a pretty good chance you know i i think what it sounds like what you have going on there and what happened with your gut pile I'd hate to tell you not to go out hunting at night, but I'd be careful hunting at night because uh, generally that's when they come out. But, you know, if you're out there, I think your your chances are, are pretty good. And I think in your situation, like I said, 
I think what they're doing, it was an easy meal. Taking that gut pile, that was easy, easy food. It's all you guys walk off, it snagged your gut pile. You know, in those situations, they're going to be opportunistic. Yeah. Uh, they're going to take the easy meal. Two, three guys carrying guns, that's not an easy meal. Yeah, and, uh, you know, when it did take the gut pile, it, it did not let us know it was there. We both had guns, and then, you know, we leave and then come back and boom, it's gone. If it would have taken the deer, we would have went looking for it. You know what I mean? It's, they're, they're, they're intelligent and opportunistic. You know, they, they went after the gut pile. You know, one thing I've pondered a lot is why didn't they take the deer in the gut pile? You know, if they could carry off the gut pile, they could easily carry off the deer. And, uh, you know, if they took my, my buck, <laughs> me and my cousin would have went after it with guns. You know what I mean? A lot of the deer kills that I've seen, the back legs or the legs are always broken. The head usually twisted around 365 degrees and the guts are gone, but they leave the yeah. meat. I don't know why they do that, but I, you know, in, in that situation, since you already made life easy, you tore the guts out. It probably didn't want the deer. It probably really wanted the guts. Yeah. Every deer kill I've ever seen, uh, that we assume a Sasquatch killed, like I said, you'll see the back legs broke. The head is usually twisted around like a pretzel and then it's usually ripped open and the guts are taken and they leave the best parts, you know, the best parts to us anyway. If they're doing that, I mean, what that tells me as a hunter is that they're eating good. They're not starving because if they're killing things and taking the guts, that's the easiest, easiest chewing, um, easiest to, you know, get in your mouth. You don't have to tear the skin off or bite through bone. They've got to be eating good if they're doing that. Because if something's starving, it's going to eat everything it can. I, and I don't know, I'm just guessing, but if they're killing animals and only taking guts, they've got to be eating like kings. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, one of the things on your property is I would watch for ridgelines, and I'd really watch down by the water. Uh, and look for tracks in those areas because you generally they'll come down and they'll usually follow the waterways. So if you check the waterways, look for tracks when you're out there and then any high ridge lines, watch those areas too as well around your property. We, I, I definitely will. We have a pond right by our house. We have a natural spring within six miles and there's a turkey barn 400 yards from our front door, or my mom's front door. Every day, I've worked at a turkey barn when I was younger. You got to walk through and count the dead and take them out and throw them out in the woods. And I think, in my opinion, they're getting those. And then, for some reason, they're coming and sitting right at the uh, top of the hauler. And it's the end of the hauler, too, right by my mom and stepdad's house. Why, I don't know, but they're, they're there. I've caught eye shine and, you know, we've had a few other things happening or happen, um, that, I mean, they're still there. I went home, uh, a month ago and showed my mom eye shine and had one squeal at me. It sounded like a pig. It was very difficult. I can't even imitate the sound <laughs> and it did it twice. And um, it just was very odd. And there's no hog farms. There's no 
pigs. We don't have feral hogs in this part of Missouri. Um, and it was in the same area where all this, <laughs> this activity is going on. I had a witness on one time and they said the exact same thing. It was during the, it was a daytime encounter and they were, I want to say 75 to 100 yards from this thing. And they said it squealed like a pig. And I was like, are you sure it squealed like a pig? They're like, yeah, it squealed like a pig. I don't think I've heard anyone else ever say that. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I got out of the car to walk in the house. You know, it's six steps. And I stopped and took my pistol because I don't ever go outside there without uh, a firearm. They told me, you know, paranoid. But I take the light, and like I did, I stayed down there for a whole week. Uh, to visit with my boy, and every night I did this, and, you know, the one night I showed my mom the eye shine over there, um, but I hold my pistol up over my head, and, uh, you know, to get a higher vantage point, and I'm just about to click on, and I'll try to imitate it, but it's nothing like it was, and it's not, it was real deep, um, it kind of had like a rattle to it, but it, it was like, I'll hold the phone away, that way it's not so loud, but uh, I'll give it a shot if you want. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, so I get out, just about hold the pistol up, just about to click on the flashlight, and it's like, <laughs> and that's that's horrible. Uh, it, it was close, but the like if you do that yourself, <clears throat> where your vocal cords vibrate, it was really deep. Like I, I can't get it. And at the end, it it kind of made a, I didn't do it, but at the end, it kind of made a rah at the very end of it. Yeah. And I run inside. It, I mean, it scared the crap out of me. run inside, and I get in, and I have an e-cigarette, and I realize my juice is out there in in the car. And I'm like, all right, man, that was, that, that was nothing. I want to go get that because I know I'm going to want it, and I'm, I'd rather go get now than wait. So I go back out to the car, I open up the door, I grab it, I shut it, and I stop, and I step halfway in and out the door, so I'm a little bit more brave, and I turn back in the direction, and it does it again. And I stood there for a second, I mean, my adrenaline was pumping, and I, I just went inside, and I was like, what the heck, and it did it twice, you know, all within probably three minutes. But two different occasions of me going outside. So to me, it kind of justified that it was doing it at me and not just some animal in the woods that just happened to make those noises at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was trying to give kind of a chronological order to things that were going on around your property. I know we kind of jumped into your encounter. Do you want to talk about uh, the times you had mentioned it before that you thought they were coming up to the house? Two things of I, uh, that were happening that I knew they were coming up to the house. Uh, the first was after, uh, probably six months after I saw what I saw. But throughout the week, I was sleeping in there, and my boy sleeps in the same bed as me. And when I'm sleeping next to him, I'm real alert. Like, uh, you know, noises will wake me up uh, kind of easily. But, you know, I always, you know, hear something or whatever. But throughout this week, I was waking up every night, and out of a dead sleep, I would wake up, and not like a groggy wake up where I heard something and I go back to sleep. I'm talking, I was waking up, and I was alert. 
And that that is odd for me because you just want to hear something. I wake up and I'm groggy. I go over, figure out what it is, and go right back to sleep. Well, I was waking up. I probably four times throughout this week, and my stepbrother has a cat that sleeps in the bedroom that shares a wall with this bedroom. And um, so I I wake up alert, and then I would hear this cat scurry underneath. Um, there's a shelf on that wall. It's a bookshelf, and I would hear it scurry uh, underneath it or behind it, and it would meow. It would vocalize. It would just keep meowing, meowing, meowing. And it's right there by the uh, the wall, which is where our head is. And um, that window, my mom keeps propped open and a fan in there, which I shut it and lock it all the time because I hate that. But she she always opens it back up because of, you know, the cat stays in there all night, the smell. She hates it, hates the smell, you know. So this whole week... Um, I was waking up, and then, like, the second time I woke up, I heard, like, a pop. And I don't know if you ever heard your house creak, but you can tell it's a house creaking because the pop is different because there's weight on it. You know, it's like a pop, but it's a muffled pop, if that makes any sense. Well, the only thing I could put together was this was like a rock, a small rock hitting the house. Cause it, it was a pop, but it would have, like, a ring to it. You know, it wasn't getting muffled out. And so the first night I hear it, well, I wake up and I was in bed sleep. You know, the cat's not doing nothing. It's silent. I hear a pop and then the cat goes running underneath. And the first night I heard this, um, I really didn't catch on to the pop until the second and the third night because right after the pop, the cat would always dart. Well, up to this point, I think it's the cat. It's like doing something and then it runs underneath, you know, and it's sitting there meowing and meowing and, you know, it makes me mad because it's keeping me up. Well, one night I'm laying there. This is towards the end of the week. It's probably the fourth night this happened. And I'm laying there and I'm kind of mad because, so as I lay in my bed to the left of me is a wall that I share with the other room where the cat always goes right there in my head. Uh, directly on top of my head is the wall that's outside and that faces right. our road with, or our driveway, which comes in front of the house and it curls up, you know, if you're looking at the top, that's the bottom. But, and I, I'm laying there and I'm, I'm just listening and I hear the pop. And so I'm kind of like, oh, what is that? Because it's freaking me out because I keep waking up for no reason and I'm wide awake. Well, I'm laying there, and we've got our bedroom door open, and there's a hallway wall just across from that. And I hear, at the time, what I thought was a large drunk guy speak outside my window. And the reason I say a large drunk guy is because it was very deep, so much so that when I jumped up and I grabbed my phone, grabbed my pistol, and I call my mom, and she picks up on the third ring, and I'm like, Mom, they're in the house, get Dave. Because and I knew it didn't come from the hallway, but it was so deep, it rattled the wall. And my biggest fear, you know, in that moment, you make decisions instantly. You don't really think about them. But I knew it didn't come from there. But the threat, the biggest threat to me that it was, somebody was in the house 
And so I hop up out of bed. When I, when I get out of that bed, it creaks. If you do it slow, it's a bunch of loud pops. But if you do it fast, it's just kind of like one loud pop. Yeah. So I jump up, grab the gun and the phone, call. She picks up on the third ring, gets my stepdad up. and But the noise came from me laying in my bed. If I held my hand straight up, my fingertips is where it felt like the noise came from. I mean, it was directly, like, I'm looking at the ceiling and all this is, you know, I'm listening. It was directly, like, in my line of sight. Like, it was right above my head. There's a window just to the right of me, uh, just to the right of the bed. And so I jump up, call him. Dave gets up. He gets his pistol. And... I hear him walk over to the door and I say, Dave, it's me. I'm going to step out into the hallway because, you know, I've got a gun and I just told him to get his, you know, I'm trying to be cautious here. And so I step out in the hallway and he goes, where are they? And I said, I don't know. They might be outside. So we go running. He flips on the light and we go running. Well, I stop to throw on my shoes real quick and I look and he's in his whitey tighties. <laughs> you know, standing there with a pistol, and I'm like, do you have a flashlight? He's like, let me go get it. Well, I wanted to catch these guys. And so I go running out the the door from the kitchen to the garage, and then I hit the garage door to go out, and the first thing I noticed is my mom's car's dome light is on. And so we go running around. We run around the house. We run back behind the shop, back down the pathway, uh, my mom gets Jace, we get in the car, we drive around because we're thinking, okay, it's, you know, somebody is out here. There's only a couple ways they can get in right. and out of here, and they need a vehicle to do it. So they have a four-wheeler, or if they run, we'll see it through the pasture. You know, if somebody runs through tall weeds, you're going to see it. So we drive all the way around, find nothing. The only odd thing was the dome light was on. But where... What I heard was probably three syllables, three or four, and it's the reason I say it sounded like a drunk guy is because it's like it was speech, but I couldn't make out what it was saying. And so we, we get to thinking, you know, we get to talking about it, and I'm like, what, what, what could this have been? Why would somebody come outside my window, some large guy? And the reason I say large guy is because in the front of the house, the foundation sticks up about three feet, and then the house is on that. So the bed's about three feet tall, and then where I heard it was about three and a half to four feet above the bed. So if you add all that together, that's like a 10-foot guy, where that sound came from, and it, it, it just didn't make sense why a large drunk guy would go right by the window of our bedroom and speak and give himself away. And at the time, like, I don't know why I thought this, but I thought it was a guy talking to another guy. So when I saw the dome light, I put together, hey, you know, he was going to open the car door, and this guy told him to stop. And so we, we thought, I thought for a very long time that there's this 10-foot drunk guy with an extremely deep voice coming around the house at night talking, but we could never figure out where he came from, what he was driving, what road he came in on, because there's one gravel road that leads to our 
uh, driveway, and our driveway is about a quarter mile long. So why would you come all the way up just to give away your presence by my door or by my uh, window? You know, that's just kind of a big mystery. Um, I never put the two and two together until your show. Uh, the guy talking about them throwing rocks and coming up and peeing on his porch. Uh, Sasquatch passing through, I think is what it's called. I've listened to that one a lot. Right after I came out and told my family, you know, what I believe is out there, what I saw, uh, my mom called me and, uh, her and my stepdad thought that a car hit the house. And I'm talking like one, two in the morning. I'm not sure, but it was, past midnight or right around midnight because they hear this loud boom. So mom said her first thought was somebody broke down the door. Well, Dave woke up to it. She didn't have to get him up. He thought a car hit the house because it was such a loud boom. Well, mom and Dave, Dave grabs his gun. They go and get Jace. Uh, he puts them in the, their bathroom, which is like the central room of the house. And he goes out and looks. Well, after he goes out and looks, you know, she comes out and looks. And there's nothing. There's no damage to the house. There's no cars. There's no, you know, for somebody to run a car into that house, it would have to be intentional because of, you know, what it takes. It's a quarter mile long driveway, you know. That freaked her out because that was after, you know, everything I told her. And uh, it just. I do believe these things are coming up to the house at night, but I, other than those two times when we went running outside, they, we don't really engage them. Like you, this sounds crazy, but I don't. I I told mom I'm like the you know from the podcast I listen to, don't do anything because it's like they have short attention spans, and if you react. It, it like is an entertainment for them or whatever it is and it will you know increase so just don't do anything and hopefully that will work uh but those are the other two things that have happened that um have you know kind of played into this whole picture uh there you know one other time when i showed my mom the eye shine it was sitting in the same spot my cousin uh heard that thing walk off hit the brush and stomp off that. But this one was smaller. The eye shine, it was white. Um, and then it, it kind of turned blue. You know, I was hitting it with the, uh, a stream light flashlight, which goes on a pistol. And it, it was like, uh, at first white and then kind of bluish green. And it would like duck out of the way. And I think it was putting its arm in front of its face because I could see something moving in front of the eye shine, the eye shine would disappear, and then I would see one eye, and then I'd see both. But it wasn't a deer, because a lot of times you get that with deer because their eyes are on the side of their head. Predators, their eyes are on the front of their head. And when it would turn its head, you could see it was a flat face. And, um, you know, and when you look at all these things and, you know, what I saw, it's like these things are there. And for whatever reason, whether it be the tar turkey barn or I, I don't know, but they're, they're staying and they like this area. And the night we saw the eye shine just over the holler, my mom, she thought it was in the grass because the eye shine was just above the grass. But she's not very good at judging distance with eye shine or judging distance at all. 
I think it was further down the hauler and it was standing up like it was at a lower position. That way, all it, all you could see is the eyes above the grass line, which is, you know, three foot tall, four foot tall in some places. And it, it could duck down and be gone. I think it was further down the hill, but was standing up. And I think that's where they stand. Because where my cousin, I took him out there and he told me where he heard the sound and where he's pretty sure it came from. Um, and it was in the exact same spot. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the knocking on the house, the banging on the house that you're describing. You know, a lot of people, when they talk about that, I've heard that same description. People will say they thought a car had hit the house. You know, I've had witnesses on before that said, it sounded like a car hit the house. I go out there and there's nothing. Uh, and it's always in the middle of the night. There's always a loud bang when people have them on their property. Let's hope that they... Be careful. Be careful out there, and let's hope that they don't escalate the situation. I think you have the right attitude. Don't engage them. Uh, you hear stuff like that. Try to ignore it, and generally it will go away uh, from what I've heard from other witnesses. But the moment that you start engaging them, uh, it becomes worse and worse and worse. Uh, but definitely be careful out there. Uh, it sounds like they're getting a little bit more ballsy, uh, especially coming up to the house. Well, Dustin, I know we're just about out of time. I wanted to thank you for coming on and sharing your encounter. You know, it's one of those things to where I really enjoyed hearing your experiences. I enjoyed uh, hearing your encounter, but I'm sure on your end, retelling the encounter and your experiences really isn't that enjoyable. But I, for you, I mean, but I really do appreciate you coming on and, and sharing it. Yeah. Well, Wes, I, I appreciate you having me on. Um, sorry, I kind of get off on tangents every once in a while, but thank you. And I, I don't know how much you get this, but I, all the work you put into the show, it, it really helps people like me. It, it's helped me, uh, tremendously figuring out what this was and then, you know, kind of how to respond to this. Um, I, I just want to say thank you for having me on and thank you for all the hard work you put in. Thanks, man. I really do appreciate that. And if you would, keep me up to date with anything else that happens out there uh, on the property. No problem. Thanks, Wes. I was nervous as heck, man. <laughs> oh, you did great. And thank you again for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Wes. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, everyone, for listening tonight. Please visit SasquatchChronicles.com. And if you've had an encounter and you'd like to come on the show, email me, Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com. Until next time, everyone, have a great night. <laughs>